dancing with the devil. Okay, we need to record because I have things to say. Okay. And they're about to come out. I'm shook! Welcome to the Holly Shook Podcast. I'm Armin, and today I'm dancing with the devil himself, Ryan Alkire. How are you, Rye? Hi, it's me. Um, I am the devil, and I'm ready to dance, baby. Let's freaking go. This is a, I want to say it's kind of like a special event, Holly Shook Podcast. It is. Because we don't normally give reviews. It's just, I don't know if this is going to be a review, but we usually talk about tabloid stories, more like drama, I guess. And we're giving more an opinion and a review on one of our Holly Shook staples. Demi, Demi Lovato. Lovato. She is definitely a staple on the pod. She's been a guest host many times. <laughs> um... No, I love I love Debbie. We talk about her quite often on this podcast, and we're gonna review her new documentary on YouTube called "Dancing with the Devil." Well, she was a recurring topic on our podcast last year because of her relationship with Max Eric, which is covered in this documentary, <laughs> and I can't wait to talk about that. Oh my goodness! So yes, we did talk about Demi a lot in twenty twenty. Um, but you're also absolutely right, Rai. We've never actually done a proper covering of a celebrity-related documentary. We did just do the Framing Britney Spears doc, but we did cover it like a month and a half after it was released. As we tend to do. As we tend to do. That is typical of us. That is on brand. However, in this case, it's April 8th as we record... Okay. Part four of the four-part documentary series on YouTube, Dancing with the Devil, was just released April 6th. So, Rai, this is our first proper covering of a celebrity-related documentary. You're right. It's a special event. It's a first of its kind on Holly Shook History. Wait, did we do a whole episode on the Britney talk? <laughs> no, we also was- talked about we also talked about something else. Oh, it wasn't like we didn't do like a full episode on just the doc. We like mentioned it kind of. We also right? talked about the Lady Gaga dog robbery thing. Right. This is giving me and this is a throwback memory that I don't even think anyone who listens to this podcast will know, but it's giving me early buttered pop vibes Ooh. where we reviewed not only like the Grammys and the Emmys and the Oscars But one of my favorite episodes we ever did when we first started doing podcasts, where we did a Coachella review. (laughs) I wasn't on that podcast, but I was present for it. I was producing it. You were famously taking the role of producer during that podcast. (laughs) Producer, editor. Yeah, this is reminding me of that for some reason, because it's like totally unnecessary that we review anything ever. But yet here we are. So... (laughs) Let alone just a a music festival in general. Like, why did we review that? It was so fun, though. I think, though, in this case, more people will care about us talking about Demi Lovato and this whole ordeal as opposed to you and Eddie and Ben and Dallas, right? He was on that podcast, right? Yeah. (laughs) Talking about your Coachella experience. Yeah. We have... That was just pure narcissism at its finest form. Like, we're going to tell you guys about our Coachella experience. Everyone was like, we didn't ask. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we watched... I binged, actually, the entire four-part documentary last night. Um, I feel like I was I was intimidated to watch four parts. Because when you hear four parts, you're like, okay, it's going to be, like, four hours. It was, like, an hour and a half. <laughs> like, it's very short. Um, but I, I like that they broke it up into four parts. At first I was like, why break it up into four parts if it's only like 25 to 30 minutes each part? But then once I watched it, I, I understood why it was split up and I actually appreciated that it was split up. I actually think each of the first three had a succinct theme. 
Mm-hmm. The fourth one gets a little choppy, but that makes sense because they're trying to wrap a lot of stuff up. Yeah. Because it goes into the Max Eric stuff and then... For like five minutes. Right, Not... yeah. They kind of briefly breeze through yeah. it. But then it also goes into speculation on whether Demi will keep up her sobriety. But mm-hmm. also then it touches on, which we'll get into, of course, more deeply, but her way of doing sobriety, which is different than most people mm-hmm. in AA. So it kind of goes all over the place, whereas each of the first three were very focused, wouldn't you say? At least that was my feeling on it. Like, okay, part one is all about this. And then part two is all about this. Part three is all about this. And then part four was a little bit all over the place. I think that would be my only criticism of the series because otherwise it was insanely compelling. Mm -hmm. I also binged it. I couldn't Mm -hmm. put it down. I had to just watch the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was great. I think that they went into it being like, let's talk about the overdose, essentially. Right. How'd she get there? What happened? What was the aftermath? How did it affect more than just her? How did it affect the people in her life? And I think that was their goal. And then the final part was everything else. And I feel like I can I can see... It was aftermath. It was aftermath, but it was also like there's other stuff that's happened, like her engagement and her tour and her like music and whatever. COVID. Her- at famously her haircut um but i don't know I, I i agree i was very intrigued the whole time um i i don't know i was just i couldn't stop watching i wanted to know more it was very real and it was very honest it was very raw it was unusually only... unusually real unusually in the celebrity space i don't think any celebrity is as direct and open and honest about their life as Demi mm-hmm. Lovato. I, I couldn't tell you. No, and I don't think we've seen anything like this where it's truly like this iconic celebrity, you know, role model to young kids, like, person just being like, no, I literally was shooting up heroin, like, and almost died, and this is what happened, and, like, I'm not ashamed of it. It's very powerful, and I was thinking that last night, I'm like, you, we haven't seen anything like this, really. And because and not to be super dark from the top, but like if you think about other celebrities in similar situations, like they don't get to live to tell the tale. Like I watched the Amy Amy Winehouse documentary and it's like, well, she's not alive to like interview and tell her side of things. So it's just it's very. Who was Demi's best friend in the documentary who was interviewed in all four parts? who made the reference to um, the 27 Club. I don't remember Mm -hmm. his name. What was his name? Do you remember? I don't know any of their names, but the gay guy, yeah. Yeah, the gay best friend. Yeah. He basically made a reference to that. He says something like, wow, thank God you made it to age 28. Like, you you almost almost didn't make it. Like, but now, you know, we could breathe a sigh of relief. I don't know. I'm kind of paraphrasing there. But he said something like that. He basically, like, after the overdose, she turned 28. And he was like, and he was like, this is so dark, but we like 28 was a big deal because she she fought past that stigma of the 27 club mm-hmm. and he's, like, he's like it's kind of crazy to like celebrate that but he's like we literally celebrated that she wouldn't fall into this category of famous people who die at 27 which if you guys don't know the 27 club look it up amy winehouse kurt cobain and like I'm sure there's others <laughs> but um jimmy hendrix is jimmy Hem- no no okay he's older than 27 he died young. I did a report on him actually in sophomore year of high school. I should know this, but <laughs> I don't know anything from sophomore year of high school, so I don't know why I would remember that one specific detail about Jimi Hendrix. He died vomiting, laying on his back, and there was a reference to that in this series as well because uh, Demi's um, head of security mm-hmm. was on the phone, I think, with her personal assistant when her personal assistant discovered her blue. Mm-hmm. Like literally fucking blue. Literally, yeah. And uh, Demi was on her back, and her head of security was like, "Turn her over, turn her over. That's bad. That's bad." Because obviously, if she vomits on her back, she could yeah. choke on her own vomit, which is what happened to Jimi Hendrix. And let's do a quick shout out because you mentioned a few of them already. 
the supporting cast, I don't know if it's cast is the right word, but the supporting <laughs> people in this documentary were just great. I mean, they start off the documentary with like kind of a montage of all of the people who are going to be interviewed and they do the classic documentary, like cut, you know, quick cuts of them being like, okay, so how honest are we being? Oh, we're telling everything. Are we going to talk about the heroin? Are we going to do It's like, and it started off and I kind of was like, okay, like we get it. Like, like kind of corny. I was like, it's a little corny being like, oh, we're going to that, you know, whatever. Are we really going there? Right. We're it's like, go. you know you're going there. That's why you were invited here. Right. It's not like Demi, like, called you and was like, we're just going to, like, do a little thing. She, like, <laughs> called you and was like, you're going to talk about my overdose. Um, but I will say, I was very impressed by the people who were interviewed. Um, mainly, I would say the people that stuck with me were, like, her personal assistant, the one who discovered her, the gay best friend, and then the her former sober companion. Blue-haired sober Blue. companion. Mm-hmm. She was my favorite. She was so yeah. honest, like because she wasn't afraid to call out Demi either. Mm-hmm. I love that about her. I have. Can we? Let's just let's let's just just go into it here. With are are we not into it? <laughs> I'm like 30 minutes, and I'm like, let's just start. <laughs> um, no, but well, I told you before we started recording. I have like three very specific moments that I want to talk about, and oh, one right. of them is. I guess it's more general, but it's the let's, honest... Let's frame the podcast around your three, you know, yeah. revelations or whatever you want to call it. Okay, fine. We'll just make this about me. Um, <laughs> when do we not? So Demi's documentary really was about me at the end of the day. Um, no, I just was very impressed by the um, by the interviewees and how honest they were. And something that... And I, I, I couldn't have made this up. It had to have been the point was... I don't think some of those people like Demi anymore. Like former assistant, former sober companion, former manager, former right. And I, I would say the gay best friend and the the girl with the blue hair, I think they're still close to her because there were scenes of them together, kind of like in, in current day. But the two that really stuck with me was her um former tour choreographer. The girl whose birthday it was the night she overdosed. Whose life got ruined. Whose life got ruined. Her and then the assistant who discovered her. I was so compelled by their stories because the way they spoke about her, and I, you know, obviously this is speculation from a third party audience viewer, so like haters back off, but they spoke with kind of like an air of disdain towards her. Mm -hmm. And I was so intrigued by that because... I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel like Demi was, like, behind behind the camera being, like, gun to their head. Like, you better not say bad shit about me. Like, I think Demi was like, just be honest. Tell them how you actually feel. And I think they ran with that. And I was just very um, struck by their honesty. And I truly think that the choreographer, the girl whose birthday it was, I feel like she literally hates Demi Lovato. <laughs> I, Which you can't blame her, really. Right. You can't blame her. I think it's complicated. Like humanity. I think there is love. I think there is resentment. Mm-hmm. I I think it's very complicated in that particular story for those who haven't watched it. And if you haven't, I really recommend you watch it and then listen to this podcast, to be honest. Yeah, I feel bad because I'm like, I, we're going to talk about things and you want to watch it first. But I mean, Rye, it's in the fucking title. It's going to be in the description. Like, We should title this Surprise Podcast of something <laughs> dancing with the holly shook dancing with the devil <laughs> um in her story in her particular story the fans blamed um her i, I feel bad for not knowing her name we should know her. i name. don't know like and you guys should know by now we don't know anything so i don't know any of their names we're gonna call her choreographer girl. choreographer girl birthday girl or birthday girl one or the other um, and by the way, that this is intentional. This is by design. We wanted to just riff on this because we both just recently binged it and we didn't want to have notes. So we're riffing everyone. And obviously you can tell our memory is decently intact. We have a lot of details, just not I names. may have may have had a couple white claws while I was watching it. <laughs> you know, sue me. <laughs> and you're having a white claw now and a glass of rosé. 
I had a white claw and now I'm having a glass of rosé. Okay, don't act like I'm drinking both at the same time. <laughs> True, that is more accurate. You did just finish the white claw and now you're on your yeah. rosé. Thank you. But like Choreographer back girl. To, back to birthday girl. Birthday girl. <laughs> the fans blamed birthday girl for mm-hmm. Demi's overdose because mm-hmm. uh, they assumed that it had to be the party that influenced Demi to pick up the drugs. Even though, as both Demi and Birthday Girl tell it, there were no drugs. They were just dancing, having a good time on the rooftop. There's even videos of it. They're having a good time. Well, she said they they had had some drinks, because at this point, Demi was drinking. She wasn't doing drugs. She wasn't you know, blacking out. But she was like, I can go out. I can have some wine. I can have some drinks at dinner. But they're not wasted. But they're not wasted. And they even said, they're like, at the end of the night, we went back to Demi's and she, you know, we had had drinks at dinner or wherever the fuck they were. And she goes, when we got back to Demi's, she offered us LaCroix. And right. the birthday girl, she was like, and that made me feel really comfortable because, you know, none of us needed to keep the party going, but we were just excited to hang out. And we did dances on her rooftop and we sat around like her patio and we didn't drink anymore. And she's like, and that made me feel really comfortable with Demi's, you know, sobriety because it was her kind of saying, you know, I can go out and have drinks and then I can call it a night and I can stop drinking and I cannot, you know, take it to the next level. And then we find out that once the birthday girl and the other friend that was there went home that Demi went upstairs by herself and shot up heroin and took this and this and that. And we should mention called her drug dealer. Called her drug dealer. Yes. She called her drug dealer who, who came was there. and brought her things and, um, and sexually assaulted her. Sexually assaulted her. It's very dark. It's very sad. And it's, not easy to talk about that type of stuff, especially so publicly. And I just respect Demi so much for like being so honest about it. But she also was like, I want to make it clear that like, it wasn't my friends who asked me about this or wanted to do this. It was fully my own, you know, it was me doing it on my own. And I don't know. I have such this weird thing. And I'm like, I don't, their relationship must be so complicated because even Demi was like, you know, I feel bad that it took this long to get her story out here and to, to be able to clear her name. It, it, it took so long. But in the moment, I couldn't focus on clearing her name. I needed to focus on my own health. And so for that reason, I can see the potential disdain or the potential anger towards Demi from Birthday Girl because she was like, so you, you just let these people blame me for so long when you could have said something but Demi also was like that was the probably the least of her priorities at the time so it's complicated it was that that to me was I would say maybe my top favorite moment of the whole documentary was like hearing that side of the story and we should point out Rai a lot of celebrities would have never cleared her name right and that's not to downplay the three years it took because three years is not an insignificant amount of time. And the birthday girl's life was in disarray beyond receiving online backlash. She lost all of her job opportunities, right? No one would hire her. She was considered toxic. She was working, I guess with children or something too, in addition with artists and the parents dropped her or something. She's a choreographer. And then she, taught children's dance classes and all of her children you know clients or whatever the parents pulled them from her class i thought you were going to say the children clients like the eight-year-olds are like i don't want to work with you anymore you're you're fired (laughs) (laughs) that's how toxic she was not not even the uh kinders would would deal with her anymore the eight-year-old's like you're you killed demi wavado i don't know why (laughs) talk like that that's how i talked when i was eight i had to go to speech therapy but you had a lisp no i couldn't say my r's we've covered this oh right 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 my name was wyan wyan al-kaiwa <laughs> that's uh, terrible for you who has two very was, significant like, r's really in your the, name the one letter i can't pronounce and you're gonna have it in literally my entire name like fuck off parents 
Good thing you didn't grow uh, up during the Reagan presidency. President Wagon? <laughs> Wanold Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> President Wanold Wagon? Everyone's like, all right, someone euthanized this kid. Which, like, to be fair, should have happened. Um, okay, what was revelation number two, Rai? Okay, revelation number two. Um, oh, we're really, we're really leaning into my revelation. This is all um, about you. Once again, my history with my speech therapy. Um, <laughs> my other revelation was... What was it? Oh. Poof. Scooter Braun appearing out of the cuts. Just popping out the cuts. Really Why is was he jarring. everywhere? Why is he everywhere? It was jarring. And, like, I get it. He's a huge pop music producer. I get that. But... What really grinded my gears was, you know, we, we've all heard of the Taylor Swift, Scooter Braun, you know, turmoil from last year right. or two years ago or whatever the fuck years ago. That has now turned into Taylor Swift re-recording all her music, which is a whole other thing. I'm like, we could have avoided all of this. <laughs> but, you know, I have a bad taste in my mouth with Scooter Braun because of what he did to Taylor Swift that I know very little about but I'm still able to form a full opinion on <laughs> as I do. And so I'm like annoyed at Scooter Braun. And then he appears at the cuts and I'm like, what? And she's like, I dropped my management after my overdose and called Scooter Braun. And he signed me because I knew Scooter Braun would be able to take care of me through my, you know, recovery. And I'm like, okay. And then suddenly Scooter Braun's in the room and I'm like, now we're interviewing Scooter Braun. And he's like, I took Demi and like, let her just be herself. And like, you know, I told her, we don't need to record a top 40 radio album. We need to record your emotions and you need to put your heart into this album and don't worry about how it'll sell. And I'm like, said no fucking producer ever, bitch. (laughs) Like, do not come into this room and be like, we could literally lose money on this and I'd be happy. I'm like, no, no. So then I'm sitting here. This is my rant on Scooter Run. Just give me like 30 more seconds. I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, they're like really making Scooter Brown look like a hero. Like, I was like, this is too, like, it's a little fishy. Then here comes the credits and who's the top executive producer of the goddamn documentary but Scooter Brown himself. And I'm like, okay, so now this is also a Scooter Braun vehicle to clear his name and to, you know, make him seem like a good guy after all the bad PR he got last year with Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And for that, that's the only part of the documentary that I was like, this seems contrived. And that's my rant on Scooter Braun being part of this documentary. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Right, not just being a part of this documentary but crafting its entire essence. And that is not to diminish the documentary because I think at the end of the day, because it was so interview-driven, we got so much real heart and soul and just authentic looks into Demi Lovato and the people around her who really have supported her, as as we've talked about, right? So it's not to diminish any of that, right? But let's be honest here. What you just hit on is so astute. Because when Scooter Braun says that whole thing that you just mentioned about how I don't need a top 40 hit, like no bangers, no no pop shit. Yeah. We're going to do something from the heart. That statement is so cynical because what he's doing with this documentary is actually setting up the new albums to then say yeah. these new albums are just auteur driven. They're not bangers. They're not top 40 stuff. And then they're going to sell more because they are going to be packaged as the albums from Demi's Heart. That's just a different way to market them. I mean, and by the way, stuff from the heart can be top 40. Right. Top 40 can also be colloquial for like just, you know, shallow, let's say, you know, summer bangers, right? Which Uh, we love both. We love both. We love both. But you're spot on here in in the sense that Scooter is, I think, doing two things. One, he is just marketing Demi's upcoming albums. And I think it's almost arguably 
unbeknownst to Demi. I think Demi's thinking, I'm burying my soul here. Scooter's like, oh no. I mean, Demi's not an idiot. She knows that recording and making a documentary about her thing right before her first album comes out. Like, she knows it's also a part marketing scheme. Fair enough, fair enough. I wanted to... I get where you're coming. Like, (laughs) yeah, I think she wanted, she would have done it regardless of an album or not. I think she wanted to get her story out there, but also it's like, come on, it's called Dancing with the Devil, which is literally like the lead single of your album. (laughs) True, true. I was giving her too much benefit benefit of that here, but she's been in the industry since her Barney days. Right, right, right. She gets the game too. Um, But I think Scooter's a little bit more cynical because I do think there is this other angle at play and it's like you're saying it is image rehabilitation because of the taylor swift thing and you're right he is sort of messianic in this documentary he is this christ-like figure coming to save the day only he could manage the volatile demi lovato and really put her at ease so she could just create and not feel the need uh, to do hard drugs. And he, and he also, that whole sequence about the way she handles her sobriety. Oh, he's also just so understanding of how she needs to approach AA, even though he has his own opinion on it, which, by the way, excellent hedging, because he's like, I think the way you need to do AA is is never touch alcohol again. And that's my understanding of it. I think that's the probably the right way to go. But But, you know... One size doesn't fit all or whatever. And a few people said that. And I think that's actually the appropriate stance is that one size does not fit all. And there are different approaches to it. You don't need to be dogmatic about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But he was totally hedging there because at the end of the day, the responsibility a little bit falls on him. So he wants to kind of put it out there that, well, he knows the right thing to do, which is to go the fully sober route. Um, But he's supportive of Demi no matter what she does. You know, so he he could never be wrong. He could never be wrong, and it's also like, yeah, he just came off as like this, like the white savior figure, which is like a very common trope or theme or whatever in film and television, of like the the white guy like coming in to save the day with like the minority or like the underprivileged or whatever. And I just rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, I know that this guy is not a good guy. Like, I know that he's money hungry and power hungry. Like as his personal friend. But I think we should um, talk about her approach to sobriety. I was incredibly impressed and I don't know, I was kind of affected by her talking about the way she's handling it because I never, I've honestly never really heard anyone talk about getting sober in the way that she did. And I've never really seen it represented on screen in a way. And I was confused because, you know, every episode starts with like kind of a trigger warning type thing about either like alcoholism or sexual abuse or whatever. And then the last episode is like, we talk about using moderation as, you know, like a sobriety tactic And it's like, which may not work for everyone, so blah, blah, blah. And I was like, moderation? What the heck does that mean? (laughs) And so I was like, what the frickin' heck's gonna happen in this episode? And then she talked about it, and I was like, I'm obsessed with that, because I don't know, like, it is is something that's like, cold turkey doesn't work for everyone. And, like, the way she worded it, and obviously I don't, know like exactly what she said but she just was like when I put in my head that I will never ever be able to touch a glass of wine or hit a joint or ever even smell alcohol again like that drives me crazy and that's what makes me want to do it because it's so forbidden for me that like forbidden fruit right and she's like I you know was sober since I was 18 so I wanted to know what it was like to not be sober and then to be like, well, I can, I have to go back to being totally sober again. She was like, it just didn't work for me. And it obviously wasn't working. Like she's overdosing. And I don't know. I just was really intrigued by that um, approach to it. And I, I personally believe that that is a way that some people need to deal with it. Like I know someone who 
it's not good when they drink hard alcohol. And they're like, you know, if I'm taking shots or I'm drinking a Jameson and Coke or something, like, I get fucked up and then I do stupid shit. Do I think I need to stop drinking altogether? No. But I'm just going to drink beer and wine. Mm-hmm. And White Claws, essentially. And, like, they're totally fine and that's just what worked for them. They're like, I'm not, like, needing to cut alcohol out of my life, but there's certain things I just can't drink. And I just think that was really... Like, brave, I mean, this whole thing is brave of Demi, but, like, mm-hmm. her her coming out about that, it was it was kind of the one part where I could tell she felt very uncomfortable talking about it. Cause she, which is astounding, given all that she talked about, right? Right, and that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, she talked about all the hard drugs she did, what she was doing, how she was living her life, and she never once, I never got an ounce of, like, she was she was raped at age 15 and she spoke openly about that by someone in the industry who she says is still prominent and working and Mm -hmm. getting movie roles Mm -hmm. and she had to be around for years i mean she really spoke so candidly but you're so right rye when it came to this you could sense some uncomfortability because i think she could sense the backlash that could come. I don't know if it's come, by the way. I haven't done any internet sleuthing. I I really haven't followed up on this documentary at all beyond talking about it with you today. Seriously. So I don't know if she's gone shit for that. But it's so cool, Rye, that you have mentioned this as your third revelation because I felt the same way. I was so impressed. Not that that's the right thing to do for everyone. And not that I'm an expert, but I've always intuitively felt the same way. Despite the fact that I think we've both seen this despite not being in the field, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, experts have for a long time been very dogmatic about the fact that you must be fully, fully, fully 100% sober to avoid ever getting down that addiction path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again in your life, right? So I'm right there with you, right? I was very impressed by her being open and honest about the fact that she's smoking a little bit of weed, she's having a drink here or there, and mm-hmm. she feels like this could work for her. Now, time will tell. At the end of the day, time will tell. But I think it's possible that could work. I don't, I'm right there with Demi in the sense that I don't think that life is so black and white that it could only be one way to achieve a goal. I think there are different paths to Mm -hmm. success. Yeah. It just was like very, it felt like a great, not solution, but a great, not even conclusion, but another un, (laughs) because it gave me like, it gave me hope. It made her feel more, relatable i mean she was relatable through it out throughout it all but also it's very unrelatable for a lot of people like who have never done meth and heroin just casually like i don't i don't understand i just don't understand that mindset to be in but i understand the mindset of like i'm not gonna be able to just cut it out of my life i tried it and obviously didn't work so the definition of insanity is trying something over and over again and expecting different results so like why not try this? And then if it doesn't work, cool, back to square one. I mean, not cool, but like, why why not give it a shot? And it seems to be working so far. And I just thought it was so interesting. And even some of the other people who are, were interviewed said, they were like, I I don't believe in the way she's hand, like handling this. I don't think she should be drinking at all. But, you know, she's the only one who can stop it. She's the only one who has control over it. And even just seeing people who she's friends with not agree with it, you know, imagine the rest of the world watching her documentary, like a lot of people are not going to agree with it. And it was just so crazy to see, like when she was talking about it, she was kind of like not making eye contact with the camera. She was looking down a lot more. She was kind of fidgeting with her hands. Like you could tell. A little hesitant. Hesitant to say it. And I don't know if that's a coming from her, being afraid of the judgment or if it's you know potentially coming from her secretly knowing that it's not gonna work or what but I just thought it was very moving and very 
I don't know if it's groundbreaking because I don't know if it's been really spoken about, but when I was watching it last night, I was like, this is very cool to see on screen, especially in such a high profile um, project because I never hear people talk about that. It's always, if you're, you're either an alcoholic and you're drinking or you're sober, like there's no in between. I'm sure it's been experimented with, but it's sort of like what you touched on at the beginning, Rye. She is like the most high profile person to be talking about a lot of this stuff. So candidly, whether it's heroin use or the multiple instances of sexual assault or now her approach to sobriety, there aren't very many high profile people who discuss this stuff. Maybe if we searched in like academic spaces, you know, right, we which could I'm not. find <laughs> like research on this stuff. Like I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Um, but it's not talked about uh, with high profile people a lot. Old guy, because we don't know their names. Old guy. Remember old guy who I think is a AA guy or a expert of some sort who helps her. Remember old For- guy? security guy no not security guy old guy with long hair kind of gives you (gasps) hippie vibes case manager her case manager case manager guy i don't know what a case manager is but (laughs) it's hers (laughs) okay so old (laughs) case manager guy old man old hair old man long hair (laughs) old man long hair loves the approach he was saying he doesn't think that there is a one-size-fits-all methodology i agree with him i to me it also felt like i um it felt like a hopeful ending like it didn't feel like you know it's a lot of really dark content obviously throughout it but i left it i left my couch (laughs) feeling like hopeful for her i felt like she really like drew the curtain on things that people shy away from usually and you know (laughs) you and I have made the joke many a times I don't know on the podcast or just via text message of how the fuck does she have three documentaries about her life she is literally 28 years old like literally how much have you done in 28 years to like (laughs) require three documentaries um but I I see it now I see it now (laughs) But I I think this was her best one because it was just no holds bar. Like, I think she is at the point in her life where she's like, well, what the fuck? I almost died. So what's the point of living, like, without being fully truthful? And, you know, she can help so many people. She has such a wide reach and a big audience that she can help people by this. And I think she realizes that. And I just... I just love her and I'm so proud of her. I like start crying. I love her mentality because at some point she says even that, you know what? There's a lot of people that are always going to think I'm a druggie. Right. And that's fine. Right. But I love that she has chosen to be transparent. And at the end of the day, right, people are going to make their judgments, whether it's about celebrities or, you know, it's about their peers or it's fucking about anyone. I don't know. People mm-hmm. just judge, and, and people come to conclusions way too quickly. Yeah. And Demi has been an extremely famous person for the majority of her life. Yeah. And she's been under a lot of scrutiny, and she's been through a lot of fucking shit. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know what? It's not worth hiding. And there was a time when she was on Disney. And so when you're on Disney, there's even a whole different expectation because you have to have that Disney persona. Yeah. You have to convey a certain sense of innocence and obviously, yeah, wholesomeness. And obviously you're, you know, creating content for kids. Um, So she's done a lot of that manufacturing of the persona. And and I think she's tired of it. And I think she's tired of it. She's like, you know what? I'm going to be 100% me, uh, no matter how dark it gets. And this was absolutely dark. Right, really quickly on the note of documentaries, I I was just cracking up when uh, they were talking about in the first like ten minutes of part one how they were filming that 2018 concert mm-hmm. tour documentary, mm-hmm. 
And then someone says, it may have been Demi. Yeah, we have this whole documentary that'll just never see the light of day now. Right. <laughs> and I thought of you immediately because your whole bit about how it's unbelievable that Demi has so many documentaries and you don't even have one. And I'm like, Demi even has a whole documentary that's never even going to be released. Like, bitch, I can't even get one documentary about myself, and she has three released and one unreleased one? Like, fuck off. That will never be released. Like, filmed, edited, (laughs) ready to go, never be released. Never be released. They were like, we'll give you, we'll like, we'll throw a couple clips in here and there. And like, they do, but I'm like, are you fucking joking my ass? Like, you have four documentaries, bitch? Like, I can't. And like, in a super insensitive way, I'm like, her overdosing was all just like a ploy to get another documentary. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I am obsessed with Demi, but I will say the one the one joke I made ever in my whole life was every documentary, <laughs> every documentary about her, they have to touch on the fact that she was on Barney, and it's like we get it. She was on Barney. <laughs> like she is only twenty eight, right? Maybe in the documentary, forty years from now, they may not mention it. They'll finally drop Barney from the documentary when she's 80 years old in her tw- 26th fucking documentary. But I just died because I was like, I was talking to a friend about it. And I'm like, I swear to God, if they mention Barney in this one, I'm going to be pissed. Like, we get it. We don't need a Barney rundown again. And then Barney came on the screen and I was like, I'm no, I'm done. <laughs> but they didn't talk about Barney. They just showed her on Barney as like, a, she's been on camera since she was a young kid. Right. And like a clip of her on Barney and I was like, all right, we didn't get into Barney this time, but I swear they did a whole fucking like 15 minutes on Barney last time. I'm like, she was five. Like, what about that affected her? Like, (laughs) it's fine. Like nothing that happened when I was five, like has followed me to this day. And to be fair, this four part series was pretty much confined to the time between right before her overdose. And then I guess to now. Yeah. Which is like, like July 2018 to, to now. To now, yeah. Um, which is great. I love that. Because I'm like, we got her last documentary. We got her kind of life story. Oh, okay. I've never we, seen it. <gasps> we how we touched on this before, right? How dare you even have an opinion on this one if you haven't seen the last one? <laughs> and you had the same uh, reaction. <laughs> the last one's really good. It's definitely her life story more. Um, and I remember... I was, like, fucked up when I watched I'm not going to lie. I was, like, really high and drunk on heroin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I had smoked a little weed, and I, like, kind of was drunk. And I just was like, you know what? The only thing that makes sense to watch right now is the Demi Lovato documentary. And so I watched it, and I just remember, like, laying in my bed being like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I was in awe. And now looking back on it, I'm like, bitch, they didn't touch on shit last time. Right. This one was the true... Did they talk about her father? Um. Once again, I was a little high and drunk, so... <laughs> and this was also fully three years ago. <laughs> You're like, Armin, don't test me right now. <laughs> it was very long ago. I don't really remember the details. But I remember there was a lot of Barney talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they, they must have... They, they, they definitely spoke on her father because... They alluded to him in this one and then didn't go into it. But I'm like, that seems like a bigger deal than you're making it seem right now. Well, they kind of went into it, I thought. I mean, I thought that the tale of her father was illuminating because he was a drug addict. and Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. That could inform her own addiction, right? And a big theme of this documentary, maybe not theme, but a recurring point that was made throughout this documentary was a person can only get sober if they choose to get sober, you cannot persuade them or you cannot make it your own choice saying, I want you to be sober. You also can't provide an ultimatum, which was given to Demi at age 18. They said, if you do not get sober, right, we're not going to allow you to see your sister anymore. Oh yeah. The sister thing. Oh my God. Right. Right. So that was a big deal. So she's yeah. like, wait, I want to see my sister. So I am going to get sober. And that is actually what led to that six or seven year period where she was sober. And they contrasted that with her father because her father also never really chose to get sober too. And unfortunately, yeah. that 
did lead to him dying alone. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, they talked about that all in the series. And, like, they barely touched on it. It was, like, a full, like, chapter. Yeah, yeah. They really went in on it. Maybe I blocked that And he that de- out. decomposed. I mean, I thought this was really just a tragic detail. He decomposed to the point they didn't even know the day he died. Yeah. Oh he my was God, found for- alone somewhere. They didn't. During Father's Day. And she was like, did he die on Father's Day? Did he die before? Did he die? But they don't know because he was just there for so long that his body was yeah. unrecognizable. They didn't mention how he died, but I'm assuming something to do with drugs. Yeah. Tragic. Oh really tragic. I forgot about that. That is really dark. Um, I'm depressed. Why am I like more sad talking about it than I was when I watched it? But <laughs> Were um, you high and drunk when you watched, watched it? I was like, wait, did I have drink and smoke last night? I'm like, no, but now I feel like maybe I just blocked. I don't know. I'm just like, I was really sad when I watched it last night too. So maybe I was blocking it out of my head for a reason. But um, I don't know. Okay, wait, we... I was about to be like, we're done. No, Max Eric got brought up. And famously, we were the only people to follow that story. The only um, people. The only people. To me, Max Eric is an A-list celebrity just based on fully the amount of time we spent talking about him. Okay. Revelation on the Max Eric moment. Let's each let's each say our um, biggest revelation on the story since we've, we've follow followed that. Oh, yeah. I famously don't ever do any research for this podcast. I've never read a single news story. I kind of just show up. Armin tells me things. I react. (laughs) Max Eric, I took charge on that story because I could not look away. And I have this whole, like, but Demi, like, never spoke on it, really. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no way that they're going to mention Max Eric. Max Eric got, got mentioned. Um, well, like two or, or three weeks ago, right, when we were anticipating this documentary, you even said to me, do you think they're going to bring up Max Eric? And I was like, they have to, right? Like, they have to. They were engaged. But we were both questioning it because it's such a bizarre story. So bizarre. And I feel like, okay, my biggest revelation from it was... Because, you know, we we would talk on this podcast famously that Demi was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, she went to, like, an ostrich farm, like, the day after. Like, it was a whole thing. She was upset. Like, she was really sad. And she, like, meant, she, you know, she had those, like, kind of self-recorded videos of her, like, crying to the camera. And obviously, like, she never, like, posted those on social media. And, like, Max Eric, who, like, famously cried on his Instagram story for, like, a week straight. But, um. And on the beach. Hand on the beach and called TMZ. But I was like, I don't want to say surprised to find out how upset she was. Because, like, obviously, you know, we made jokes about it on the podcast. But I'm like, obviously, she is upset. No one, like, ends an engagement and is like, well, on to the next. Like, whatever. But I don't know. I was like, I guess in my head, I just, like, created the storyline where I'm like, she just, like, kind of got over it. But it, like, did affect her, and I was like... I think it's half true, because her gay best friend friend. does say to her in some scene that's sort of set up as not an interview scene, but they're just all hanging out. But they're, like, hanging out on the couch. (laughs) Yeah, one of those. Um, He says something like, oh, like, you moved on so quick, like, he's irrelevant, he doesn't matter, like, you're stronger, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, some shit. I don't remember the Mm -hmm. word for word, but... It was insinuated that even though she would be hurt, understandably, she wasn't that hurt. Like, she did move on from it pretty quick. Yes. And, like, I mean... And she was better for it, because they were all like, yeah, he had to go. Which was, by the way... Okay, can I lead into my revelation? Please. Fucking confirmed, confirmed that the breakup was because... He was a kind of creepy stalker for a decade. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know the story, Max Eric, since like 2009, 2010, had been tweeting about how he was going to marry Miley Cyrus, or he was going to marry Ariana Grande, or he was going to marry Selena Gomez. He even tweeted something like, Selena Gomez or Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez all day. Right. He had been trying to manifest a marriage to one of the 2010s iconic pop stars. And here's the thing, and this is 
you know, I'm, I'm actually drawing the curtain on our relationship right now. I always felt like you leaned a little bit too hard into that aspect of the story. Mm. I was like, you know, okay, everyone tweets at celebrities, you know, it can't be that serious. Like, you know, I, Oh, you thought Demi didn't care about that. Right. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I always thought like you, I mean, that was like your favorite part though. of the story. Yes. That was always my favorite part of that. And I was like, okay, whatever. That's like weird. But like, I have two glasses of wine and I'm like DMing every celebrity I've ever known. Like we're best friends. Like it's not that uncommon. And so I was kind of like, okay, it can't be that. It, that can't be what's behind it. Like Armin, get over it. Like there has to be more. And so like, here I am like trying to create like my own version of what happened. And then lo and behold, the fucking documentary comes out and it's basically confirmed that because he was a weird clout chaser mm-hmm. is why it ended. And I just want to give you props for really holding on to that aspect of the story when other people were ready to push it aside, a.k.a. myself. Thank you, Rai. Thank you, Rai. And you weren't alone, by the way. A lot of people were dismissing that element of the story, but I clung on because that's what I do. I clung yeah, on. You I have like, my conviction. I was like, we have to talk about how he drops the fact that he's in a movie every time he posts anything about a young pastor living in the 1920s. And in the South, don't forget that detail in the in South, the South, just like kind of ready to help like hometown families, like get their lives together. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that she was like, he fully was like there for like the fame and like whatever. It's all cryptic too. Like she doesn't specifically mention the tweets, but she does say something like he misrepresented himself. He wasn't who we thought he was. Right. I miss the guy and who I was quarantining, quarantining with. I miss the guy I thought he was, but he wasn't loved, that man. I loved that it was like fully COVID time. She's like, I quarantined with her. And like, <laughs> it's just crazy. And this is a kind of getting off topic, but like similar. Like, we're watch- we're now watching reality television and like documentaries and stuff in the COVID age that have been filmed, and now we're like watching it on TV. And I'm like, this is truly insane and the fact that like she was like the quarantine was the best thing that happened to me because i was able to like <laughs> i think her i think hashtag gay best friend was like you know i hate to like make a positive out of it because like <laughs> clearly people like died <laughs> right right and, like the quarantine is the best thing that's ever happened to Demi. right right like, right <laughs> like the way he the way he couches it and it's like maybe yeah. just don't say it like we could just avoid this segment yeah i was like we could just like maybe move on but she was like like not know. not everyone got to have like a house where she built a what was it a dedication room to oh the, God, a netflix her. show what was this i didn't understand this and then she had a shroom room but there was some show she said what was it Nurse Ratchet or something? Oh, she um yeah she she made a room about the Ryan Murphy um, Netflix series about Nurse Ratchet, famously starring Sarah Paulson. Yeah, and it's like of course, but, of course, the pandemic was the best thing that ever happened to you. You live in a massive mega mansion. You literally live in a mansion, and like also like maybe we need to unpack the fact that you have a Nurse Ratchet room. Like, what's going on here? Right. And then her shroom room, she's like, I just go here and I'm like creative, and I'm like, okay. And, and I'm the like, comparison then, like, to regular people apartment with like <laughs> barely like a couch, like okay, bitch. Just kidding, I still love her, but I, I, you know, I get where she's coming from. Of like, it was good because I, you know, and I, I did get that too. Of like, in what other time in our lives does anyone really have the ability and capacity to just like go home and be with loved loved ones and like especially someone who's famous and touring the world and shooting tv shows and recording music like she probably doesn't get that much time to just be with her family so especially in such a hard time in her life it was probably very um welcomed to have that time with her family so i respect it but also Read the room, bitch. <laughs> a little bit read the room. <laughs> a little bit read the room. And then there was the framing of COVID as like the Demi stopper. Because it was setting up the comeback story, right? Demi at the Grammys, January 26th. Yes. One week later, February 2nd, Demi does one of the greatest national anthems ever at the Super Bowl. Demi's about to make her big comeback tour. 
but COVID stopped her. COVID <laughs> <Love that> hit. <laughs> it's like, well, also the Grammys and the Super Bowl, like, literally always happen within two weeks of each other. It's like, what other event was she going to go to? Like, there's no events after the Super Bowl, babe. So it's not like you were going to just continue, like, making iconic event appearances. <laughs> but, okay, we'll blame COVID for sure. Not the awards season schedule or anything. I don't know, the Major League Baseball season opener in April or something. Cool. Like, nobody's watched that ever a day in their life. <laughs> um, But no, I'm obsessed with Demi. I think she's an amazing, iconic queen. She's so talented. Is her new album that good? No. But is the documentary good? Yes. And if you have not watched it, I recommend it, even though we just spoiled the entire thing for you. I think we covered almost every detail of this documentary. Well, there's probably more details, but we True. definitely covered, like, the... You know, the, the moments themes. that they stuck out to us. True, true. Oh, speaking of moments that stuck out to us, I have one that I wanted to mention. Okay. That we You're haven't talked about. Line. Yeah, can I have one? <laughs> this has all been about you. <laughs> yeah, well, you were the one who made it about me, so, like, what do you want me to do? True. I thought it was interesting how all of her friends and family, despite all of the things that Demi has put them through, said that at the end of the day they would always have Demi's back mm-hmm. when the producer or the interviewer when the interviewer asked Where all you of give them up? the same question yeah yeah what was it they asked if they ever if it ever went through their mind to give up on her right and they all were like hell no no way no way there was only one person who was like eh and it was her, her sister. sister yeah and her sister was like, eh, there were times where I thought maybe of giving up on her, but but no, I, I won't give up on her. And, and yeah. she said something like, there were times where I thought she, this is what she wanted. So if that's what she wants, then you know, go ahead and, and do your thing. But I thought it was impressive because I think a lot of people would easily give up on a person like Demi. Mm-hmm. There were other instances where they hinted at her volatility in different ways, like how she's maybe a very clever, maybe pathological liar, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that means she's a little bit of a difficult person to deal with, to say mm-hmm. the least, right? And she's very upfront about it, because she is the person who actually said that she is a great liar, that she lies right. all the time, she could get away with it. Um. Obviously, she's open and honest about her her foray into drugs. and No one knew she was doing drugs because she's like, I was able to hide it from everyone because I'm good at that. Right. Right. And she did. She was hiding it. They didn't know when they were leaving birthday girl's birthday party that she was calling her drug dealer because she said she was going to bed. And she said that they were going to wake up early to go on a hike. Right. Oh, my God. The hike. Yeah, they're going to go on a hike. Right. And she's like, oh, should I stay? Because maybe if I stayed and slept the night, then she wouldn't have called her drug dealer. And then that's a decision that's going to weigh on her for the rest of her life. Oh, my God, I forgot yeah. about this. But you can't blame her. You can't. Birthday girl, don't blame yourself. Birthday girl, if you're listening to this, we love you so much. So much so that we know your name. And just don't blame yourself. <laughs> um, I just say all of that um, to stress that it's good to have friends like this. It's good to have a support system around you like this, especially when you are someone like Demi who has a lot of stress and bullshit to deal with um, and her own personal demons, you know, because I just, I think it makes it a little bit easier to get through it. Um, If not, if not just a little bit easier, maybe without them, she couldn't get through it, to be honest. (laughs) I uh, and... I think anyone can agree on that. You need your friends to stick by you, especially in your hardest, darkest times. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes that's okay. But she really has a good sports system. I think that that's what helped her get this far. I think she's very lucky to still be with us. I think we're very lucky to have her still with us as a close personal friend. And um, I don't know. I was obsessed with the documentary. I thought it was amazing. If you guys haven't watched it, watch it. It's so short. I watched it in like an hour and a half at most yeah each of the first three parts are 22 minutes the last part is 28 minutes it's an hour and a half super easy yeah. it's free yeah. on youtube yeah there's a couple ads but you know that's youtube for you <laughs> right what can you do um but yeah i'm 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 so happy that 
she um, released it and she was so honest. I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people who maybe are struggling with similar issues. And it's just, uh, I think it's set a precedent for, for celebrities to be okay with talking about what goes on behind closed doors. When you have such a big platform, you should use it for good and to, to, to be helpful and to be, I don't know, just give people a look into a situation that they're most likely not a part of. And I'm obsessed with it. Quick topic before we sign out here, Rai. Okay. Are we entering an era of celebrity transparency? Because now that I think about it, this isn't unprecedented in the realm of celebrity transparency. Even though you're right, it is a little bit groundbreaking. I mean, it's almost as candid as it gets. But just six months ago, or maybe longer, um, we covered the Will and Jada Red Table Talk. That was pretty raw. That was intense. And mm-hmm. it doesn't get more transparent than a couple talking out an adulterous affair mm-hmm. on TV, right? So, And then you have the whole Red Table Talk series in general. Um, I don't know. Are we entering a, an era of celebrity transparency, or, or are these outliers? I think there's like um, a half and half, maybe. I think that, for instance, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith talking was a revelation, but it was also like not that great. Like it wasn't, I don't know. I think what Demi is talking about is like eons above a couple, you know, having entanglements. But Entanglements. I get what you're saying with like, celebrities just being honest and open and maybe I mean I think we're seeing more and more of it like unapologetic celebrities is definitely a thing Billie Eilish being very open about her body image and how she's portrayed Miley Cyrus is kind of the blueprint for saying fuck what you guys want me to fit into and I'm gonna do my own thing so I think that there's levels to it, but I think that what Demi did was truly next level and hopefully it'll inspire other people with big platforms to not be afraid to speak their mind because at the end of the day, I mean, it showed that Demi is like a human being and there's so many people around the world that deal with addiction and you think that it's for these like crazy drug addicts who like are... living in squalor and like blah blah blah. I'm like no it's like literally a disease that people have and to have someone who's so rich and famous be so open about it I think is just incredible and hopefully other celebrities whether it's about addiction or other issues will feel more comfortable being vulnerable because I just think it can only help in the long run and that's my really well spoken take on that I love it. I agree. I'm right there with you. I I think we may not be in the era quite yet, but I do think there is an ushering in of an era. And a part of it is technology. You mentioned Mm -hmm. the fact that the celebrities have the platform, right? Before Mm -hmm. a celebrity had to work through a a newspaper or, you know, network television. A what? (laughs) Uh, So a newspaper, right? No. (laughs) This isn't the 1920s anymore, babe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you don't have to go through a producer anymore. In this case, it could be your manager, Scooter Braun. <laughs> yeah, you just got to get through fucking toxic masculinity, Scooter Braun, to get your dog <laughs> there, but okay. <laughs> but in other cases, it could be your own talk show, like Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk, or, mm. or you could just go directly to IG Live. And I think that is the big difference, right? I think that's where Miley Cyrus has done a lot of her, you know, opening up to fans. It's just directly to the fans on social media, Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. She's in tune with what people are saying and she can respond because she's there. And I think that's the major difference today versus even just 10 years ago. Seriously, even just 10 years ago. And especially with Miley specifically, like she's ex- she's mastered the... I'm just going to say and explain things before y'all can start making up your own version of it. Like, I'm not ashamed and y'all are going to make it up anyway, so I might as well just tell you and then move on. 
And I feel like I've seen less and less of her in the tabloids since she started doing that. So I think that's also Demi's thing, too, is, like, I'm just going to tell you guys what happened so that y'all can stop fucking thinking about it. And this is it. And that's that. Sabotage the speculation. Yeah. Sabotage speculation. Mm. That should be our motto. (laughs) (laughs) Did we cover it all right? I think we covered every single every single possible moment of the entire documentary. Did we dance with the devil? I famously am Satan, and I have <laughs> been danced with all night long. And I had a great time. And I am surprised by how um, affected I was by this documentary. I really, it stuck with me all, all 24 hours since I watched it. <laughs> and I... Honestly, I'm just very obsessed with her, and you need to go and watch the first documentary. That's your homework. Okay, that's my homework. <laughs> Can we cover more celebrity-related docs on this podcast? No. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's um, all for this episode. It's, it's the last of its kind, so enjoy it while you can. And this is also the last episode ever. No, I heard the, <laughs> the series finale. <laughs> I heard the Billie Eilish documentary is really good, so maybe I'll watch that one. I heard that too. I heard I actually heard that too. Okay, but I need like a couple yes. weeks. I can't do another documentary this week. I need like <laughs> at least three. I need to watch like two more seasons of Survivor, and then I can watch something. <laughs> <laughs> <Real again. laughs> that has actually been your pace recently, Rye. <laughs> two seasons of Surri- Survivor, another content. Two seasons of another Survivor, content. another content. I finally finally finished all seven episodes of Queen's Gambit. It only took me three months. <laughs> but I did watch... In the time it took me to watch seven episodes of Queen's Gambit, which famously are like 45 minutes to an hour long, I watched 13 seasons of Survivor. Seasons! <laughs> I need help. I need mental help. And <laughs> We'll Demi- call, call one of the numbers in the Demi Dog. <laughs> I know. Demi like kept throwing help hotlines at me during the documentary. I'm like, well, one of these got to be for people who are... Binge watch men- Survivor. <laughs> yeah, mentally addicted to reality television. Um... You know what we should do? Okay, now we're doing a behind the behind the curtain talk, <laughs> but we should talk about the Andy Cohen Cohen um, reality the... television thing. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say the keeping up with the Kardashians twenty year reunion thing. No, 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 no. Right, you don't with... care. You famously don't care about the Kardashians. <laughs> famously, couldn't spend another second thinking about that. But Andy Cohen is doing a um, reality tele- a history of reality television series, and it's so good. I've watched two of both episodes but i think the new one's on tonight so i might watch it after that oh i didn't realize it's it's out i just start i, I just saw the promo for it but yep. okay two episodes catch up they the kardashians are on the first episode and they get interviewed and i'm like Ugh, but it's so good anyway this has just been this has been producing content with armin and ryan <laughs> yeah a little a little bts on how we produce our upcoming episodes Okay, we need to end this thing. People are over it. Yeah, they're so um, thank over you guys it. Thanks for listening. Watch the Demi Doc. It's so good. And let us know your favorite parts. If you agree with our sentiments, let us know. If you don't, let us know. We don't go fuck either way. And um, we appreciate you guys listening. Yeah, and uh, follow us at Holly Shook Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platform. And rate, uh, rate and review us, but only five stars. If you rate us five stars, you may get a treat. You may get a treat, and with that, I gotta go because I have to go dancing with the devil.